Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. A city initiative to reduce our carbon footprint is music to the ears of local environmentalists. It's designed to give individuals and neighborhoods an important role in urban ecology. Joining me in studio is Catherine Warner, Sustainability Director for St. Louis Mayor Lida Krusen's office. Catherine, thanks for being with us. No, thank you for the invitation. I, you know, I think a lot of people might be surprised to learn that St. Louis has a sustainability director. Do you think so? Uh, yes, but actually the uh, sustainability effort has been going on for more than a decade now. Yeah. And uh, the sustainability director position was started nine years ago with former Mayor Slay. What What is basically the mission of the director in the sustainability office? Mm-hmm. Besides saving the world. (laughs) That too. Um, Well, when we talk about sustainability in the city of St. Louis, we have a triple bottom line approach. That might be a term you've heard of. It's balancing not just the environmental issues, but also the economic and social issues of the people of the city of St. Louis. It's about people, their well-being, their prosperity, their happiness, their quality of life within their environment. How do you do that? Well, any number of ways uh, from trying to... uh, lead by example in the city and enact city policies and programs and initiatives uh, and sharing information and tools and resources so that people can take efforts on their own. What kind of a difference can it make, really, in the overall scheme of things? Well, I think uh, depending on a difference to whom or to what, it can make quite a big difference. And certainly collectively, little things can add up. And uh, a small difference can make a, uh, a small effort can make a big difference for a butterfly, for a person, for their um, daily enjoyment or their educational opportunities. It really can make a big difference. What are some of the things that, that are going on right now that uh, are pointing in this direction? In terms of making a difference? Yeah. Well, uh, well, something that's been happening for several years now, we had a, a monarch conservation program in the city that's really... Butterflies. butterflies. Monarch butterflies, mm-hmm. yes. And... Um, this was something that was started in about 2014, and it's taken flight, not just here locally <laughs> and, and regionally, but across the country, frankly. We've made a name for ourselves because we realized that um, monarch butterflies, they actually they need some very specific things, milkweed plants, mm-hmm. uh, but they don't need very much of it. And uh, if you can plant a one square meter of monarch habitat, half a dozen plants or a dozen plants, uh, you might be hosting some monarch butterflies. And so that's, of course, good for the monarchs. But it's also good for the people who get to enjoy the monarchs that come and uh, experience those. So are you asking people to plant milkweed in their backyards, or is the city doing it in the parks, or or, or both? All of the above, yes. Uh, When it was kicked off, it was a bit of a challenge. Mm -hmm. It was back when we had the 250th anniversary of the city of St. Louis. Mm -hmm. And so uh, Mayor Slay at the time said... Well, we'd like to start this Milkweeds for Monarchs project, and we're going to lead by example and plant 50 monarch gardens in the city. Um, many of them went to city parks, um, fire department, house, firehouses, mm. city hall, and then we encouraged the community to join in and make up the other 200 monarch gardens. And it was uh, wildly successful <clears throat> just by putting together some information and some materials and making it easy for people to know what to plant and where to get their plants and how to do it. Uh, now we have more than five, uh, 400 have been planted just in the city of St. Louis alone, 400 it, gardens. So, so the public is responding to these overtures when you make them. Yes, and it's actually been inspirational because it, it was uh, indicative to me that it really 
people do want to make a difference. They want to help, and they just need a little bit of help sometimes, uh, whether it's knowing where to get the plants or, or what to do mm-hmm. or how to do it. But uh, people have been so, so pleased and proud of their efforts. And here's an example of collectively the impact that we have made. Uh, I don't have a map with me, but you, there's one posted on the city sustainability website showing where those 400 monarch gardens have been planted across mm-hmm. the city of St. Louis. And you'll see it covers the entire geography. Yeah. And um, it, and it really does make a difference. That, that, that's encouraging because I sometimes uh, think that, that people only give the environment uh, some thought maybe around Earth Day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You think so? Well, I, you know, I think it's certainly the more prevalent time when people tend to, to hear about it and mm-hmm. it becomes front and center. But I, at the same time, I think it, there's a little bit of risk of overload too because if you hear so much about it in the month mm-hmm. of April leading up to Earth Day – and then it's uh, you forget that it's Earth Day every day. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't want to digress from what we're talking about in the city, but it occurs to me, w- given what we read in the national press, that the the people at the top of the government hierarchy uh, in this country aren't too keen on the environment and, ter- and don't really think that there's much of a threat to it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, we have some challenges with our federal government right. right now and the leadership, and which actually makes it all the more important to take these local efforts. And so um, I think sometimes it's a little bit of a mistake to think that people don't care about the environment. When you get these messages, it's just that as compared to some of the other competing priorities, the environment falls way down. And I think that's what we're seeing right now. And does that impact that attitude at the top impact uh, St. Louis? Oh, absolutely. I mean, the the trickle-down effect, uh, there are fewer resources, fewer grant opportunities, fewer opportunities for technical support. um, It definitely does have an impact. What kind of a budget do you have? Zero. Oh. (laughs) That that makes life a little more difficult, doesn't it? Yes, yes. Zero budget. Zero budget. So everything that I do is um, a reflection of uh, grants that have been um, won or um, partnerships that have been forged or donations that have been provided to the city's Office of Sustainability. You do have a number of local partnerships, I understand. I have some very, very strong partnerships. And without them, I would not be able to do nearly as much. Are we talking about corporate partnerships, that sort of thing? There have been some along the way. There have uh-huh. been um, some quiet uh, partners. Um, and um, But I, you know, on my day-to-day work, I, I work very, very closely with several nonprofit organizations, uh, state and federal agency, not federal, yes, some federal agencies, mm-hmm. um, uh, schools, institutions for higher education, mm-hmm. and so forth. Yeah. Well, let, let's get back to the local environment. We're, we're taking care of the monarch butterflies. What are, what are some of the other projects that, uh, that you've been involved in? Well, lately, I would say uh, the, the, the thrust of my work falls into two big categories, if you will. And the monarchs, that falls within a larger concept of urban ecology. Mm-hmm. And so there are a lot of different ways that you can and I think should promote urban ecology. Uh, on the one hand, it's have as much green space as you possibly can so that people can access nature, connect with nature, and also making sure that that green space is high quality. It's not just grass, but it is something that is rich habitat, biodiverse, and so forth. And um, and then making sure that people know about it and that they feel comfortable with it and they can find places to enjoy these spaces. So all of those things are our urban ecology program and the monarch 
conservation efforts fall mm-hmm. within that. The other big area that I tend to spend most of my time on is on climate protection. Mm-hmm. And we have several different efforts related to uh, conserving energy and um, promoting climate actions in the city. So those are the two big areas. Well, what, what kind of climate actions would we be talking about? So it really ranges the whole gamut. We were fortunate to develop a climate action plan, a climate action and adaptation plan for the city. And uh, just like we have developed a sustainability plan, it has all kinds of certainly objectives, but some very specific strategies and some techniques and approaches that are recommended. The issue becomes uh, where are the resources to implement those strategies, whether they be general sustainability or more specific to climate or or some other topics. And so uh, reaching out to people within the community, individuals who are interested in taking climate action at home, at work, at their school, Those are some of the things that we're promoting more right now. Can can you give me some examples of what some of those climate actions uh, might be in the home, for instance? Sure. Well, um, you you may have heard of a a big uh, a book in an effort called uh, Drawdown that uh, most recently came out, and and it lists sort of all of the different things actions that you can take around the world, and what are the most promising and and effective for helping the environment, but. The uh, and it's it's very it's a, it's a remarkable book and very inspirational, but it doesn't, of course, drill down into what would be impactful here in St. Louis. And so, what what I've been trying to do is identify some of the um, the low hanging fruit and some of the, the the easiest things, the the best things that that folks can do, depending on where they are at home or at work and so forth. So one of the things that we're developing just right now, we'll be um, putting out later on this month is a good, better, best spectrum. So if you're interested in doing something at home, here are some good things. If you want to take the next step, here are some better things. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and finally, you know, maybe some, some best things. So some examples at home, um, in terms of your, your, your building, your, your physical house space, you can retrofit your uh, building space, you can change your light, bulb, light bulbs. If you have the old incandescent light bulbs, you can replace them with CFLs or even better, LED mm. light bulbs. Um, if you want to take it a step further, maybe you would conduct an energy audit and really look at how is your house performing mm-hmm. and is it drafty and leaky and, and how uh, efficient are your, your equipment and, and so forth. Um, and then uh, if you really want to get you know, sort of um, roll up your sleeves and and help out at home, Um, you're going to be starting to do things like installing smart thermostats and some automatic lighting Mm -hmm. so you're not wasting some of these things and power strips and so forth. And so uh, these are just sort of a spectrum of different things. But I think sometimes it becomes overwhelming for people to know where do you start? Mm -hmm. You know, everyone says I should do something, but what? What's the most important thing? When I think... The first thing to ask is, you know, what what are you interested in? There are lots of different opportunities. And um, in pulling these uh, recommendations together, we're trying to help guide and support people who want to make some of these decisions. It seems like most of what you mentioned anyway basically deals with energy, energy conservation. For climate, uh, there's an awful lot of energy. Um, We've done some greenhouse gas inventories in the city of St. Louis. We've done about four of them now, years 2005, 10. 
13 and 15. And so we now see some patterns and some trends about our greenhouse gas emissions in the city. And as it turns out, uh, about 77% of our greenhouse gas emissions in the city come from existing buildings. And that's not just homes, maybe a quarter of it's from homes, but homes, uh, residential, commercial, and industrial buildings. And so there's a really big opportunity there to address the energy that is used in the homes. It certainly seems, and given the numbers you've just given, it certainly seems uh, a lot more doable if people get on the ball and start thinking about this. Absolutely. And, you know, you think, oh, well, what can I do? And what's one little light bulb going to make a difference? But uh, if you do your whole apartment or your whole home uh, and then you tell it uh, to your neighbor and they Mm -hmm. do it and and they do it next door and, you know, it really does add up and can make quite a difference. I want to pick up on that point, but we have to take a break. We are talking with Catherine Warner, who is the City of St. Louis Sustainability Director. We'll come back and continue our conversation in just a moment. If you'd like to get into it, we'd love to hear from you. Give us a call at 382-8255. That's 382-TALK. Send us an email to talk at stlpublicradio.org or if you would prefer to send a tweet, do so at STL on air. This is St. Louis on the air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. And welcome back as we continue our conversation with Catherine Warner, the St. Louis Sustainability Director. We just had a headline there with regard to improving emissions from cars. Uh, That's something you're certainly going to support, needless to say. Uh, Absolutely. And actually, uh, the the Volkswagen Mitigation Settlement Funds is an opportunity for the city to receive some of those funds and also the region. There are a lot of different ways that those funds could be used. And uh, we've been active in trying to suggest some of those ways that are most cost-effective. As it turns out, the $41 million um, that is set aside for the state of Missouri, when the VW vehicles were sold, 45% of them were sold here in the St. Louis region. Mm-hmm. And so from my perspective, it would make sense that 45% of these mitigation funds also come back to this region to address the issue. When we talk about the things that people can do, uh, certain things come to mind, solar paneling and things like that. Where are we as a, as a community in that area? Is there much of, of uh, solar panel use taking place? Um, there are certainly a lot of opportunities to use solar, mm-hmm. and uh, we have the climate that would support use of solar. Um, There are a lot of solar energy providers here in the city. And in fact, one of the things that we have found is that there is is quite a bit of interest, but there are also some questions and um, uh, people have some perceived barriers and obstacles to using solar. We have some financing opportunities to help people put solar on their home or on their business, but people don't know how to get easy access to this information. So one of the things that actually will be hosting later on this year is a solar expo. So to try and have one-stop shopping, if you will. Mm-hmm. So for if you are an individual consumer or a small business owner and you're wondering, well, should I pick up some solar panels? What's in it for me? How much would it cost? Uh, how do I go about doing this? 
we are tr- we're planning to convene all of the different parties that are needed to make this decision. Those who are um, offering selling the solar panels, those who might help finance the purchase, uh, the utility companies that might be offering some credits or rebates to mm-hmm. do so, and um, pull them all together in one place so that and a prospective consumer can take advantage of that information opportunity. How is Ameren doing with regard to uh, uh, turning to renewable resources? Well, Ameren is uh, taking a lead in a lot of really wonderful areas, and uh, they have some some new programs that we're talking with them and working with them on, um, both for renewables and some energy efficiency programs, and they're a good partner of ours. Um, uh, The source of a lot of their Energy comes from fossil fuels, and so um, we need to find some ways to complement or supplement some of that. I've uh, had some contact uh, online with uh, with a company called Arcadia, which is a national company. And I'll just, you, you haven't heard of it, I know, but basically what they're doing is they're trying to take some business away from Ameren by promising lower rates, and it's totally sustainable uh, production you know, wind power and solar power. So they're out there, and it's national, and I don't know how that's going to go, but things are happening along these lines uh, nationally. And that's part of the uh, what I'm trying to do is act as a convener, if you will, and bring these different alternatives and opportunities to the to the public so they can make informed choices and decide, well, do I need to get my energy from Ameren or from this other uh-huh potential opportunity as well. Yeah. It does provide commercial opportunities, doesn't it, for companies in, in so many various aspects of the whole environmental uh, whole environmental story. You've got uh, an event coming up later this month that I know is important to you that uh, you can tell us about. What is going on uh, in the latter part of April? Well, actually, there are several different things. <laughs> because it's Earth Month, there are a lot of different things uh, and, and partnerships. Of course, there's the St. Louis Earth Day Festival in Forest Park. Uh, two-day festival there. There's the um, SLU Climate Summit. We'll be participating in that for folks interested in participating there. Um, But one thing that is brand new, and it's uh, really pretty exciting and and unique for the city of St. Louis and the region as a whole, is we'll be participating in something called the City Nature Challenge. And uh, this is something that started three years ago, a friendly competition between the cities of San Francisco and uh, Los Angeles, who could find the most species? And uh, it went so well that last year they expanded it to about 15 other cities. And that was so successful this year. It's a global competition. And uh, the city and its partners and throughout the region will be participating in a four-day challenge to get out there with an app on your phone that's free to download. It's called iNaturalist. And everybody can participate. It, you, you, actually, you don't even have to have a smartphone. You could do it with a digital camera. But uh, to get out there between April 27th and April 30th and uh, and observe, especially species in the wild. And it, it could be plant species. It could be animals, uh, pollinators, birds, <clears throat> and um, and observe them on through this app. And they will tally together all of these observations. And we'll be competing against these 65 other cities around the world, regions around the world. Um, but it's uh, we've got a little bit of a unique spin in the city in that it's not just a fun event uh, to raise awareness and promote eco-literacy. It is all of that. But in the city, we'll be using the information to create an urban biodiversity inventory. And so this is data that is actually going to be used and um, and categorized and assessed and built upon to help us 
inform our long-term decision-making and um, management decisions down the road. So it's a, it's a very uh, simple event that anyone can contribute and help the city learn about its urban biodiversity. So when we have this inventory, what kinds of decisions could be impacted down the road? Well, so everything from development to uh, natural resources management, uh, if you don't know what's there, it's very hard to make an informed decision. You're just guessing. Mm -hmm. But if you can um, look at what species that have been observed or aren't being observed, and, and that helps you know whether you have a high-functioning habitat, if it's highly biologically diverse or not. Mm-hmm. Um, these are the kinds of things that you can think, well, maybe let's leave that alone. That's, uh, that is something worth uh, protecting or enhancing so that uh, it will be a larger area to bring in more species. And frankly, some of these things also are helpful to humans as well. Mm-hmm. It's our own health and our own uh, appreciation for access to nature that could be enhanced. You know, I'm, I'm learning a lot just uh, just talking to you because I, I'm impressed by the amount of attention that's being given to wildlife. You talk about monarch butterflies and, and inventorying the species. Um, and the importance of that. Absolutely. It's, it's important for the wildlife. They're finding that urban areas are actually some hot spots for wildlife around the world. And uh, here we have, as it turns out, due to some uh, wonderful research happening out of St. Louis University and other places, we found that bee diversity is um, amongst the highest in any urban area mm-hmm. anywhere in the city of St. Louis. And so that's very important for the species. But Equally important Mm -hmm. is the impact of these things on people. Mm -hmm. There are all kinds of studies that show that people benefit when they have access to nature. Children learn better, faster, retain more when they have access to nature and trees and green space. Um, There are all kinds of uh, studies that show that your your stress goes down, your, your mental, your physical health all improve. So incorporating nature and making it as high quality and prevalent as possible is very important to people as well as the species. We can't underestimate the importance of bees. I mean, our agriculture (laughs) depends on it. People don't think of it often in those terms. That's right. Uh, About a third of the food that we eat is pollinated by bees. And if we don't have them, well, I understand, and you probably know more about this than I do, that the, the colony bee collapse situation is apparently easing somewhat, that they are coming back. And perhaps due to some of the efforts of people uh, helping out, planting uh, habitat and um, having bee houses and so forth. Yeah. I have an email here that I'll read to you, and uh, I I hope you can see see what uh, I'm saying here. Uh, Mayor Slave, very good about environmental issues. How is Mayor Krusen continuing or expanding these efforts? I was really impressed that Mayor Slave did not allow city funds to be used for bottled water. I heard that's no longer the case. Is recycling encouraged in City Hall? It's good to have these larger initiatives, but what goes on in City Hall is really important for leading by example. Absolutely, and mm-hmm. I, I agree 100%, and I know that Mayor Krusen agrees 100%, and uh, we want to walk the talk and lead by example, and uh, all of those things that we absolutely do have recycling in City Hall, and in fact, across city government, and uh, we're doing all kinds of different things. Uh, in fact, one thing that's very, very exciting, for the first time, we've just received three Energy Star certifications on three of our municipal buildings. And this is this is quite a feather in our cap. Uh, if you look at all of the, the buildings in the city of St. Louis, there are only three previously 
who have had Energy Star certification. Mm-hmm. And we've just added three more of our city buildings, uh, City Hall, our 1520 Market, and Carnahan Courts buildings. These are highly energy efficient, and that mm-hmm. doesn't happen just by accident. It's yeah. very, very intentional. We also have a lot of vacant buildings in St. Louis. Is that something that uh, an issue that comes across your desk? Uh, certainly, there are vacant land and vacant buildings, um, and this is a big challenge and a, a top priority for the mayor. It is an opportunity in the environmental context as well because, of course, ironically, I mentioned the bees and the bee diversity. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons that the bee diversity is so high is because there is a strong relationship between the bees and the vacant land in the city of St. Louis. So there are some – it's a double-edged sword in some mm-hmm. respects. Right. But, uh, yes, absolutely, uh, trying to rethink some of these vacant land areas and which ones – can or should be used for other purposes, for long-term or short-term green spaces, for community gardening, for habitat. And that's again, goes back to some of these, the, the biodiversity assessment to try and figure out, well, which ones? Which ones should mm-hmm. be redeveloped? Which ones should be set aside? Yeah. Urban agriculture, obviously, is something yes. that uh, you would be concerned about. Yeah. Well, obviously, uh, we have a very, very strong community gardening program or uh, initiative and, and ethos in, in St. Louis and organizations like Gateway Greening. There are a couple hundred organizations, uh, community gardens. How are we doing with uh, recycling? Are people uh, into that now? Have they responded over the years to the recycling? Yes. Well, it, we are doing much better than we were. And uh, <laughs> there is definitely still some room for improvement. And we, I think... Um, plateaued a couple of years back, but um, our partner organization at Brightside St. Louis has taken on a lot of communication and outreach. And so they have been really uh, sharing recycling bins and messaging. And I think people are now more and more uh, aware how easy it is and where they can get a little bit of support or information magnets to tell them what should be recycled. And so there are resources out there and people are becoming more involved. And, and the city certainly helps with its trash collection by making it easy to recycle. We have uh, recycling bins and dumpsters um, really in, in most alleys. And so, yes, it should be convenient for most people. We have a caller here from the Metro East. We'll bring in Susan. Susan, thank you for waiting. You're on the air. Go ahead. Oh, thank you. Um, I understand that wasps and uh, yellow jackets, and there must be uh, other flying insects that are, are actually pollinators, um, and they um, may not get the credit they deserve for pollinating. I, they can be considered somewhat uh, unfriendly, but uh, if they're pollinators, they're good, right? Yes. Uh, you didn't hear all of well, that. You know. Yeah, basically you said there are other pollinators out there aside from bees. There are wasps and other insects that uh, do the same job but don't get the credit they deserve. Well, yes, and you know there are some, are some of our – I'm very, very fortunate to partner with some experts that we have right here in St. Louis at the, the St. Louis Zoo, for example. Ed Spivak uh, will tell you in the pecking order which are the most effective pollinators. So monarch butterfly, for example, is not the most effective pollinator, but it has some other um, – very charming <laughs> characteristics. Mm-hmm. So, yes, there are, there are good reasons to, I think, protect as many as you can. And um, sometimes, or oftentimes, I think, when you create a habitat, even if you say you're creating it for a monarch butterfly, 
well, these bees and other pollinators are going mm-hmm. to also benefit from that habitat. Our time is winding down. Are there any other things that come immediately to mind with regard to what individuals can do that we haven't talked about? Well, I would just uh, like to mention a, a brand new initiative that uh, will be kicking off again uh, later on this month in conjunction with Earth Day. And it's it's a, got a catchy little title. I think it's the St. Louis Climate Handprint. Hmm. And you may have heard of this concept of a assessing your, your global footprint, your carbon footprint, and measuring what kind of impact you're having on this earth. And I think that's very, very important to be aware of that. But it's also something that is um, very sort of negative. You know, you're having this bad impact. A complement to that is this new uh, emphasis on a climate handprint. These are things that everybody can do. This is uh, going back to the beginning of our conversation, actions that individuals can take. And we're going to be identifying which are some of the best actions, um, putting on some uh, demonstrations and and offering some technical support for people who would like more, convening the Solar Expo, for example, and trying to identify some resources to actually help people uh, make implement some of these changes. So it really needs to be a big partnership between those in the community. And of course, uh, again, we want to continue to walk the talk and lead by example in City Hall. You have information on all of this on your website, I I know. I do, yes. And there's a sustainability web page and collection of pages. And uh, I can tell you what it is, but I really think the simplest thing is to just Google City of St. Louis and sustainability and it'll all come up. We're going to do better than that. We're going to put a link on our website. Okay. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) STLpublicradio.org so people can get to it directly. Catherine Warner, thank you so much for being with us. A a real education for me today and I I hope for our listeners as well. Wonderful. I appreciate the opportunity. Great to meet the St. Louis Sustainability Director, Catherine Warner. This is St. Louis on the Air on St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU.